0: You're listening to the Australian Army Training and Doctrine Podcast. Welcome to this short series of podcasts featuring experiences at the Warrant Officer and Non Commissioned Officer Academy here at Canungra in Queensland. In this episode, I'll be talking to one of the instructors here, Warrant Officer Class 2 Georgia Jones. So tell us a bit about your professional background in the Army and how you came to be here at the Academy.
1: Special background, I'm an air dispatcher by trade, and due to the limited postings that we do have, I've been fortunate enough to experience out of trade postings such as SASR, 1RTB, Air Movement, training Development Unit, and with that instructional background, it kind of meant that I was moved to the Warrison Non-Commissioned Officer Academy to instruct on Subject 1 for Corporal Course using my background from not only the instruction, but also out of trade and within trade positions.
0: But you're also known for involvement in AFL within the Army. You're not just an instructor here at the academy.
1: Uh, That's correct. I've uh, been involved now with Army AFL for 12 years. Uh, Originally as a player, I came on board in 2007 after receiving a phone call. Asking if I'd like to play AFL, however, I just sustained a broken leg from playing rugby for the Australian squad and six weeks out from World Cup, I uh, broke my leg. So I wasn't able to play, but I said I'd come on board as a manager and since have been involved as a manager, equipment manager, player, captain, assistant coach, and now in my third year as the head coach for the women's army AFL team.
0: So a vast experience that you have, not only as an instructor here at the academy, but also as a coach in the sporting arena, what do you think then makes a good instructor and or a good coach? And are they similar? They have a lot of
1: similar attributes. You know, whether you're instructing or you're coaching, it's about getting the best out of your trainees or your players, providing them in a learning environment. Where they're going to get the most out of learning, but also being able to develop and being part of it. So for myself as an instructor, a coach, I like to give my trainees and also players the ability to contribute to the outcomes. So whether it's their learning or how they wish to play the game based on their attributes.
0: How would you describe then your coaching philosophy? And, and how do you explain that to the players in AFL? So my
1: coaching philosophy is very similar to myself as an instructor. I like to have a firm but fair approach. However, allowing an environment where, whether it's my trainees or players can get the best out of myself as their coach, but also the players around them and also their own outcomes, whether it's their learning or their playing
0: style. And how does that philosophy perhaps differ from others? I mean, what's distinctive about the way you go about things as a coach? I suppose I like
1: to be, um, I have a very set way of doing it, but I'm also open to ideas. And I suppose within coaching, it's, it's similar to what I believe in as a commander. So I want my soldiers, I want my players to come up and have good ideas because, you know, three heads, four heads can also be better than one. And, you know, something that I previously saw from a current lieutenant colonel where she spoke about encouraging dissent and people understand the difference between dissent and insubordination. There are two different things. Dissent is about someone saying, hey, ma'am, that's not exactly probably the best way we could do it. How about we do it like this? Whereas insubordinate is directly like someone, you know, having a go at you and your rank. So I firmly believe in that. I encourage dissent and I encourage people to understand the difference between dissent and insubordination.
0: How are you achieving that? Because it is an important difference.
1: I suppose by having a approachable leadership style, so leadership covers both coaching and also instructing, that your subordinates or your players feel comfortable enough that they can provide you an idea. Your leadership stops once that your players or your trainees or subordinates can no longer come to you, ask for assistance or they can't provide ideas. So at all times it always comes back to your leadership style. We get the best out of your leadership style or the best out of people by having a good leadership style that allows you to be approachable and get the best out of everyone else.
0: If you think about the numbers of games you've been involved in, do you have any strong examples of where that coaching philosophy and that leadership style that you've shown in the sporting arena has generated a particular result?
1: I can uh, give you a result that didn't go our way from my leadership style. Uh, I was captain in 2011 playing against the Navy and I was actually for numerous years I'd also play on the the Navy captain. She became really disheartened and probably was not being the best captain on the field in regards to instead of encouraging her players, she was kind of yelling at them, having a crack at them and I just turned to her and at this stage we were actually women in the army, said. It doesn't do your players any good. You need to stand there as the captain. You need to be a better person. You need to encourage them. Um, You need to lead by example. She did that and then they turned around and beat us by two points. So maybe good, but don't do it with the opposition. Yeah.
0: So you've talked there about your coaching style. How have the things that you've learnt translated across to your instruction within a setting such as the academy?
1: I found that when I came into Wonko Academy, I had not had the opportunity to directly command our subordinates for a long time. I started coaching a civilian club, and I found that both parts helped. So being an instructor, I found that I could convey what I required effectively. I found that when I was coaching, they didn't have to listen to me because I had rank. So I had to have the best way to explain things to them. I also had to deal with different scenarios. So a younger generation... So understanding how that younger generation works, how to get the best out of them, I found that I'd come to work, instruct, reflect on, you know, coaching myself and coaching football team, and go, you know what, this is what how I need to do with these trainees. These are the different things that I've seen. They have expectations that are different to what I was used to ten years ago. And if I say jump, they're not going to say hi or high. They're going to ask me why and also potentially provide me a better option, such as how about if I jump off a trampoline and we'll get a bit further with it.
0: And what response have you had from the trainees here, given your own unique style of instruction?
1: Definitely this year, I've had a, a few, I suppose, I'd call them outcomes or positives that I'm going to walk away from the academy. I've actually had a couple of female sergeants ask if I could directly mentor them and if they could remain in contact, which we'd always I would always do anyway as a warrant officer. I'm mentoring sergeants that are going to move hopefully one day into warrant officers. Additionally, it's probably more the young jovial trainees that you have on subject one for sergeant they seem to be still developing their leadership style and very honest and don't need the requirement to sort of be politically correct for you and they'll say to you hey ma'am you know will we have you from another lesson you know my automatic response is why do you want to be bored again and they'll be like no it's just really upbeat you know like hearing from your past experiences so it's when they actually directly engage with you And talk about you know whether they want you instruct them again or additionally like you know it's really good to see you know you're approachable you know i find their sense of humor is good but we also understand exactly where that line is and i certainly don't want to step over it so it shows me that leadership style is working because i think you should always continually readapt your leadership style you know based on position you're in, the environment you're in, but also whether it's your subordinates, trainees, or even, you know, coaching a a different footy team. Everyone's different, every environment's different and it shouldn't just be like, this is how I am and this is
0: how I'm always going to be. You mentioned your past experiences and how they've helped you to be able to convey particular lessons. How do you integrate those experiences in a way that keeps people on task? I think people want
1: to hear experiences, they want it to be more than just coming from a PowerPoint lesson. I think in this day and age, we're very quick to, to use technology as a training aid, but quite often, you know, you can go back to slap ups, you can go back to, you know, showing trainees different ways of doing things, drawing on experiences, whether it's a funny experience that you've had that can sometimes show you're a vulnerable side. So not only are you giving a bit of a sense of humour in a lesson, you're showing that you, you know, you're human, there's a vulnerable side. I think they get more out of that. It's about them being up to late. You're not being this person on a pedestal that they could never achieve. They go, you know what, I'm not perfect. I've got through here and, and,
0: you know, this one else is in the same situation. Are there any particular experiences that you routinely share as part of your instruction that you feel have been particularly effective in terms of getting a message across or a lesson learned?
1: Yeah, I've got one scenario that I quite often use. So I'm really big on asking questions. I don't think your first reaction to a soldier doing the wrong thing is to berate them because sometimes there might be a reason why something's occurred. Sometimes it's obvious if the person is uh, marching while they're drinking a coffee, that's pretty much steady there. What are you doing? However, when I was instructed in 2015, I had a trainee who I'd moved his fire position into a better position. I actually got back and the trainee was back in the original position. Now, unfortunately, I know from experience, quite often the first reaction would be for an instructor to berate that soldier and go, hey, what are you doing? I moved you. So I asked him, I said, uh, hey, did I not place you over there? Not sure. How did you end up back here? In a sort of jovial sense. And he goes, oh, are you trying to kill me or something, Sergeant? I'm like, what, is there an ant's nest? He's like, no, can I take you for a walk? Anyway, so where I'd place this soldier into a firing position, additionally telling him to be at one with the uh, concealment, turned out there was a big snake in there. So I actually got soldiers at that stage and said, and that's why I ask questions.
0: So for other instructors who might be coming to Wonko Academy into the future, what advice would you give them in terms of preparing for the role?
1: Learn from everyone you can. Don't go to the Army's library of doctrine, which is, I once heard it's this. Go and research it i don't know everything my mate doesn't know everything neither the instructors that i work with but when i'm asked a question i go to the relevant doctrine the relevant policy to make sure that when i am passing on information it is correct because otherwise the army school of knowledge which is this is what i once heard will continue and people will be passed on bad advice and i remember when for years and years everyone used to break their black belt to go into the mess and so forth because we thought it's tradition it turned out that The reason why it was tradition was because the soldiers used to carry a bayonet on their black belt. They had to break their black belt, take the bayonet off. So sometimes traditions can be formed based on misinformation. So let's make sure that that doesn't occur and we are passing on correct information from the correct policy that is current.
0: And you're about to post out of ONCO Academy. Tell us about the next role you'll be going to.
1: So I was successful this year at PAC in picking up a company sergeant major position at 2GHB, a logistics support company. So I'm very excited for the opportunity. It's something that I've strived to achieve for a very long time, mainly because I hope that those that are underneath me, I'll have an ability to be able to mentor, command and manage. And for those people that are below me, hopefully, if at any stage they're not happy with their, their career, have an opportunity to educate them, mentor them, and potentially for them to go, you know, I do want a career in the army. I'm enjoying this and hopefully stay for a bit longer. I can't change the world, but hopefully I can change the attitudes for those below me. I'll give them the best of what I've got and hopefully that'll get the best of what they have to give me.
0: And what do you think then makes a good CSM given that you're about to post into that role?
1: I think you certainly need to be firm, got to be really cautious not to go into this part about having like a ship, but you still need to be approachable. You are there as the senior soldier within that company. You need to have the appropriate knowledge to be able to impart that knowledge because the training of the soldiers never, it's not just about going on promotion courses, it's that continual training throughout the year, but also hopefully. Soldiers can come to me as a CSM and provide them the appropriate advice, whether it's about their career or anything else that they need advice on, but also when it's required, discipline needs to be used right, to ensure that everyone is on the same track.
0: And just in closing, given your coaching and instruction experience, how valuable do you think that has been in preparing you for a CSM role?
1: I think I'm as prepared as I can be to be a CSM. I was very fortunate within the Longo Academy that when there was a high probability I would pick up a position as CSM, I was moved to the Warros training team to refresh my skills. I hadn't done sub one for Officer for over nine years. So that gave me the opportunity to to go back into the policies, to feel what it's like to go back into sub one for Woe, but as an instructor on the other side of it. So I've now been exposed to four courses and also a subject one for sergeant. So in terms of The training for myself to be at my best for CSM is there, but also that experience. I spent nine years as a sergeant in operational roles, instruction roles, ops roles, SO command, training command, and also within my trade. So hopefully broad enough that I can be at my best to be a CSM.
0: And are you still playing AFL?
1: Uh, My body says no. My brain says yes, but No. No, coaching, that's
0: it. Warrant Officer Class 2 Georgia Jones, thank you very much. To listen to more podcasts in this series from Wonco Academy, go to the COVE website, which is www.cove.org.au. I'm Captain Sharon Maskeldare. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by the Australian Army and is copyright the Commonwealth of Australia.